In just a moment, I'm going to tell you a story from my life. Then I'm going to tell you a story that a man named Stephen told, which is the longest speech or story recorded in the book of Acts. And then I'm going to close with how all of this relates to our story. Story is the name of the game tonight. So I hope you have a Bible and I hope you have one of those worship guides that you were all singing with. Because I want to talk to you for just a few moments about how we are shaped by stories. Okay? The stories that we believe and receive, the stories that we tell and retell, shape our worldview and our identity. Do you believe this? Do you agree with this? Last week, if you caught our video, I talked about what are the stories that get told and retold about your childhood? And how often do those stories get told and retold and that person says, so we always knew they would be blank. Do you know what I'm saying? Stories that we believe, receive, tell, retell, help shape our worldview and our identity. But to be a follower of Jesus is to give our lives to Jesus, and then watch this, and be shaped by his story. The life, death, resurrection of Jesus, otherwise known as the gospel or good news, is what gives our whole life shape. If Jesus tells us to pray for those who persecute us, to bless our enemies, to give and love those who are in need, we shape our lives around him and his story. You with me on that? So without further ado, I hope you're there with me in Acts chapter 7. We're going to look at a story I'm going to tell you. Then we're going to look at Stephen's story, Acts chapter 7. I'm going to read the whole of it. And you guys are going to follow along with me. The longest speech recorded in this book. And then we're going to close with how all of this relates to our story as people of God. You with me? Everybody good? Got to tell you, I love that you're wearing masks. Hard to tell if you're with me. So I love to see the smiling eyes. You look so wonderful. So join me in Acts chapter 7, but let me tell you my story first. How many of you have been to New York City? New York City, yes? Okay, some of you, not all of you. But I bet that those of you who don't know from experience about New York City can get a feeling that it's busy and it's kind of a full, like, assault just to get where you need to get. So the first time we went to New York was probably, what, 2007, 8-ish? And we didn't really know what to expect, especially because when we first got there, we stayed with my cousin right across the Hudson River in New Jersey. And so it, in New Jersey, we wake up early because we were going to go into Manhattan, into the city. And so we get in a car in New Jersey, and we drive for like 45 minutes in traffic, but we don't get to the city. Where do we get? We move from our car to the ferry station. And then we wait in a line for another 15 minutes. And then we get onto a boat and we cross the river. And are we there yet where we needed to be? No. We had to then go to a subway station, get a metro card, go through the turnstiles, find our platform because we were headed to 30 Rockefeller Center. Y'all know 30 Rock? 
you've seen the show. It's where NBC has their studios, where they have Saturday Night Live, they have the Today Show. We went to that Today Show, girl. But that particular time, we were going to the top of 30 Rock. We were going to the top of 30 Rock because they had a new viewing platform where you could get up high and see the Empire State Building and the whole of Manhattan from the top of the rock, is what they called it. So we had ridden forever in a car. We had ridden across the river on a ferry. Then we get through the stress of the subway and we emerge out of the exit onto the street. And are we there at 30 Rock yet? The answer is no. We still had to walk. We are from Texas. We are used to getting into our vehicles and going from point A to point B. But this was not so much a commute as it was an epic journey. And I turned to my cousin, Grandpa, I turned to Katie, and I say, do you and your husband do this every day? And they said, yes. And I said, you're crazy. Because we took a car, a ferry, a subway, and our feet to get to our destination. Now, the destination was worth the journey. This platform had glass, no rails, just plexiglass, so you could walk right up to it and almost lose your lunch as you looked over the entirety of the city. 360 views. The destination was worth the journey. Keep that in mind. That's my story. We're going to return to it in a minute. But let's now look at Stephen's story. Stephen is somebody we met last week. He was one of the first deacons. We met him in Acts chapter 6. And we see that Stephen is somebody that was shaped by a story. Stephen was shaped by Israel's story. Who's Israel? This is God's people that we hear about in the Old Testament. This is God's first family. Stephen is shaped by Israel's story. And I got to tell you, it started when he was born. Now, I know we have little ears, so I'm going to tell you that because Stephen was a male, there is a tradition that was a sign of the covenant for God's people Israel, and that he received that covenant sign eight days after he was born. He learned and lived the law as he was growing up as a child. He read the first five books or heard the first five books of our Bibles, Genesis, Exodus. He was shaped by this story. And then when he grew old enough, he would go to Jerusalem and worship and pray. Where? At the temple. Stephen was shaped by Israel's story. But Stephen hears about a guy named Jesus, who is also from the people of Israel. And he saw Jesus heal. He saw Jesus teach. He saw Jesus interact with the people that he never saw people interacting with. He saw him changing the landscape around him. And he said, I want in. I see Jesus and I see our people's true king. So guess what? He became shaped by the Jesus story. In Acts chapter 6, he started serving the needy like Jesus. In Acts chapter 6... He started performing miracles, signs, and wonders in Jesus' name, healing people like who? Jesus. We see at the end of Acts chapter 6, our story last week, he was even persecuted and opposed like who? Jesus. Spoiler alert, 
If the answer escapes you, shoot for Jesus. That's an age-old Sunday school trick if you grew up in a church. He served like Jesus. He worked like Jesus. He was even opposed like Jesus. So where we left off in Acts chapter 6 was there were people paid off to slander him. They brought him before the Supreme Court. And now we pick up Stephen's story, the longest story in Acts chapter 7. I do want to read the whole of it because sometimes it's good for us to read whole chunks of the Bible because in this whole chapter, he's going to give us his version of guess what? The entire Old Testament. If you listen closely or follow along with me, you're going to hear some greatest hits. You're going to hear about Abraham. You're going to hear about Moses. And he's going to turn the corner pretty sharply and talk about the temple. Y'all with me in Acts chapter 7? I'm going to read the longest speech recorded in Acts, and then I'm going to bring it back to our story. Y'all cool? Y'all with me? All right, Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Stephen's not going to give a rebuttal. He's going to retell the Old Testament story. The high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. God said, leave your country and your people And go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. And after the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living today. He gave him no inheritance here. Not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land. Even though at that time Abraham didn't even have a child. God spoke to him in this way. For 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated. Not the kind of news you were hoping to hear, right? But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterward, they will become out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. And because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, do you all remember this story? Now we're moving into Exodus. Oh no, we're still at the end of Genesis. They sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our ancestors could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. Do you all remember this story? On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. Well, after this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our ancestors died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought for the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. Verse 17. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. 
Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Now we're in Exodus. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so they would die. Whoa! Kids, you might remember this story. It was tough. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family. But when he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. That's interesting. Verse 26. The next day Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you're brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. Forty more years. An angel appeared to Moses in the flames of the burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers. Remember the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Do you all remember that? I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? Well, he was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. So he led them out of Egypt performed wonders and signs in Egypt and the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, Hey, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. Pause. He's talking about the law, the Ten Commandments. You still with me? We're rounding home. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and reveled in what their own hands had made. But God turned away from them and gave them over to the worship of the sun, moon, and stars. He said, okay, you want it, you got it. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have taken up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your god, Rephon, the idols you made to worship, therefore I'll send you into exile beyond Babylon. Verse 44. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses, according to the pattern he had seen. 
after receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before him. It remained in the land until the time of David. Now we're moving and grooving in the Old Testament. David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was eventually Solomon who built a house for him. That's the temple. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or will my resting place be? Has not the hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people, says Stephen. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You will always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. He's talking about Jesus. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was given through angels, but not obeyed it. Now, still with me? Verse 54. When the members of the high court Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, "Woo! thanks be to God. Okay, let's be honest. Some of y'all were like, whoa, this is crazy. The point of it is, it's long. In all of the book of Acts, Luke decided he wanted all the story. This whole long story. Why? There's something about Stephen retelling his own people, his own story, even though they disagree with the ending. Do you see this? They disagree on the ending. And Stephen says, look, I'm telling you that Jesus is where the story was headed all along. But you've resisted this Holy Spirit, this new thing that God is doing, and you have pushed Jesus aside. Okay, let's make sense of this story, and I'll be done. Back to New York City. Is it right for me to look back at that epic journey and say, you know what? That car was horrible. I condemned that car. I don't need that car. I wish I never rode in that car because of all that traffic we sat in. Would it be right for me to say, you know what? That ferry, terrible. Didn't want to stand in that line. Didn't want to uh, get on that boat. That was ridiculous. How about the subway? Should I have condemned the subway because we rushed on and off and it was stressful? And are we on the right train? Are we on the right platform? Of course not. Why? Because the car, the ferry, and the subway were all stages of a journey that brought me closer to the destination. 
and the destination was worth it. Here's what I want you to see, and here's what's listed on your little worship guide. There are different stages of our own faith, but only one faithful destination. In your journey, you're no, you know you're headed in the right direction if it leads to this faithful destination, relationship and partnership with the living God. Now think about your own story. How many of you grew up in church? Some of you, not all of you. I grew up in a charismatic Episcopal church in East Dallas, and boy, that was interesting. You ever seen someone speak in tongues wearing full clergy robes? It was awesome. Then we made the move to a very fundamentalist Baptist church. Then when I went to college, I began to deconstruct a lot of my faith. So then I swung the pendulum again in seminary, and I went to a very conservative evangelical seminary. Is it right for me to look back and say, man, that charismatic Episcopal church that taught me how to do church and be here from the earliest age, is it right to condemn that? Is it right to condemn that Baptist church? Is it right to condemn that deconstruction? No, only if each step of my journey, each step of your journey, leads you further and deeper into relationship and partnership with the living God. Friends, I hope that you understand that this journey with God that we are on is not just a checklist of facts to believe. It is a relationship and partnership to be lived. Our faith is never just meant to be something that we believe. It's something that's meant to be lived. Stephen is telling this long story to people who believe all the right things at that stage of the journey, but they missed the new thing God was doing. Why? Because wherever we are in our journey, the same is true for all people in all times. Our challenge is to pay attention to God and respond appropriately. Are you with me? The challenge for God's people in all times and places is to pay attention to God and respond appropriately. Is it right for Stephen? And did he condemn Moses? No. Did he condemn Abraham, the father of faith? No. Did he condemn the temple? No, he just said, here's your problem. You stopped at the temple and camped out on the subway platform, trading and substituting the temple, the form, the church, and you missed the source that it points to. You camped out on the subway platform and you refused to walk the rest of the way to the destination with Jesus. Are you with me? Matter of fact, you didn't just camp out at the second to last stage of the journey. You saw Jesus inviting you to walk with him and you threw him on the subway tracks. This is what Stephen says, and it costs him his life. Because for Stephen, the story of Jesus is not only worth living for, it's worth dying for. Stephen embodied this story so much that he not only served like Jesus, performed miracles like Jesus, he also died like Jesus. Did you notice what Stephen said? He said, I commit my spirit to you, God. And he said, do not hold this sin against him. 
On the cross, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he looked at his murderers and said, Father, do not hold this sin against them. They know not what they do. Stephen embodied this story so much that he not only lives it, he dies by it. This week, we had a lot of competing stories vying for our attention. Stories that talked about how it's do or die, it's make or break. And I'm not discounting the importance of presidents and policies. I'm imploring brothers and sisters that are followers of Jesus to never make these stories ultimate. If you are a Christian, you've already pledged your allegiance. And your allegiance is to a king and a kingdom. And it doesn't mean that you can't actively participate in this democracy, in this place that we are uh, free to live in and to be good neighbors in. But understand that if you say yes to Jesus, that's your story. And this is the anchor that stabilizes us in our chaos. It's the reality, the base note underneath everything that we see and experience. It's a story worth giving our lives to and even dying for like Stephen. So the final invitation is this. If you find yourself in the embrace of God, giving yourself to Jesus to be a part of this kingdom, know that there is no more love. There is no love that you can earn but there's always a next step to take, to pay attention and respond appropriately. In the embrace of God, there is no love to earn ever, ever, ever. You are never more loved than you are in this moment in the arms of God. But he will continue to invite you to pay attention to the next thing. What's the next step? As Sherry said earlier, at the end of the day, who are you calling me to? What are you inviting me to tomorrow? There is no love to earn, but there is always a next step to take. May we be a people paying attention and taking the next step in the story that God's still writing. Because it's our story together. Amen? Amen.